0: excited. I won't show you the video of my four boys who were not that excited that it was a girl. Um, so, but uh, the Lord is indeed good. Um, so, I'm, I'm excited just to be here with you guys. It's uh, it's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. We're um, uh, members of a church in Spring Branch um, where I'm now one of the pastors in a setup a lot like this. It's bivocational. And so, um, the, the Lord is uh, gracious to, to give me opportunities like this because it, it is very encouraging being around you all um, as I get to know you a little bit better and so um, thank you for having me I, I wanted to um, I wanted to jump in the gospel of John and uh, look at a passage that um, that I've recently looked at that's been encouraging to me and I hope that it's encouraging to you and um, and it's, it's, it's John 16 and um, if I can, just kind of give you a, a, a little summary of of, of, of where that um, takes you, because I know it's hard to kind of jump in the middle of somewhere uh, that you have not been recently. I, I'm assuming y'all aren't in John right now. I didn't even ask, actually, um, but I know that you guys know that well, and I'm sure I've been taught throughout John, um, but John is an incredible book. It's, it's uh uh, the Gospel of John is 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 simple yet yet so powerful. Um, John 1, 18 says, "No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known." Uh, it just kind of sums up God, uh, sums up the, the the Gospel that Jesus has made known the Father, uh, that access has been granted for those who uh, come to believe and place their faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, as, as we dive into John 16, um, the end of the book, really, it's a, a part of a, a section of the scripture, uh, typically referred to as the Upper Room Discourse, And it's uh, called that because Jesus and his disciples, uh, during the last week, uh, went to an upper room where they had a meal together, and Jesus began to walk the disciples through a few conversations, Um, and those were his really his last words, ultimately, um, in teaching them in that uh, intimate time of fellowship that they had. And that... That takes place in John 13 through 17 where, where he's preparing his disciples um, as uh, Jesus is about to depart from the world and go to the cross um, and then be raised up and, um, and then be ascended back to the Father. And so if you've ever been around somebody who, um, who is dying or has had some of their last words, you know that those words are important and they kinda of stick with you and, and you kinda of move in a little bit and, and listen carefully um, because those are often very, very important words. Um, and so Jesus is preparing them as disciples uh, to remain, as they remain in the world, uh, not to be of the world, but to, um, to, to, to as they remain in the world, to depend upon the Lord, to, to not lose the joy um, in, in the midst of persecution that will occur. Um, and to depend on the work of the Spirit, because uh, the disciples are learning about um, this helper who is to come, the Holy Spirit, Um, and the disciples are, in a sense, going to be co-witnesses with the Holy Spirit in the midst of this persecution due to their association with Jesus as they carry on the work of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so with that, um, I wanted to start off and just ask you a question and it's a question I've been kind of pondering uh, recently as I was thinking through this, and that is, you think about, um, there's a passage in the New Testament that, that says the godly in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. And I, I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about my life, and I was thinking about, you know, where we live, Spring Branch, or the Hill Country, or Bernie, and, um, and, and, and just kind of asking the question, am Am I being persecuted? for my faith in Christ Jesus. And it's not that I go out looking for it, but I also know the scripture says that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And um, so I think it begs the question, why, if we aren't, why aren't we being persecuted? And I was just, I wanted to just at least pose this question, and that is, um, could it be that perhaps our lives might look a little bit too much like the world um, to where we're not that effective in it. And if we're not that effective in it, we may not be receiving persecution. And so it's either, I think either we might not be living that distinctively as Christians um, or perhaps uh, God in his sovereign, uh, mysterious ways uh, has allowed uh, a time in America to, um, to, to maybe not... For Christians to experience that, and I, I'm not sure if that's the case, but um, it certainly is is decreasing. If that is the case, as you all know, with uh, hatred of Christians and persecution. Um, but I, I I want us to to think as as we live the Christian life, um, and as we look at John 16, that um, that life is not going to be easy, and in fact. Um, as we desire to grow closer to Christ and be effective in our ministry, um, the Scriptures do speak of the hatred of the world upon Christians, um, and it's it's during that time when um, when when expectations aren't always met, our our our, our, our earthly needs uh, don't always come through the way we want to, and so we we have sorrows upon sorrows. Um, but but I want to encourage you today that as we look at the Scriptures um, that. Jesus is encouraging his disciples uh, to trust him, that he is the ultimate shepherd. Um, He is there to keep them. He will not let one uh, be snatched away from his hand. And he's encouraging them to depend upon this coming spirit, which we are looking back, the spirit for believers. We have the spirit of God uh, to depend on the spirit and then to carry on the work of the spirit, to declare the truth and to carry on the ministry that Jesus has given us as disciples. And so our great shepherd keeps us, Jesus keeps us by sending uh, sending the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the the passage is John 16, uh, 1 through 15. And we're going to see a few different things, three different things. We're going to see a persecution, okay? The disciples are going to be persecuted, Yet, in that persecution, they're going to be kept. Um, They're they're going to be um, um, shepherded. Jesus has not lost them. Uh, Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus is leaving the disciples. But his leaving means that there's going to be a coming of someone else, i.e., the Holy Spirit. And then, thirdly and finally that work and ministry of the Spirit to and through the believers is vitally important. And so, uh, if you will read with me, we'll, we'll walk through this. We'll first begin to look at the persecution of the disciples. And it really starts a few verses before chapter 16. So actually, I'm going to pick up there. Chapter 15, verses 26. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, From the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Um, So Jesus has been taking them through uh, some teaching about them being connected to the vine. That apart from Jesus Christ, they can do absolutely nothing. This ministry, this bearing fruit that they are to do, all hinges on their abiding in Christ Jesus. I think the first eight or ten verses, it's abide, 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 abide in me in chapter 15. Abide in my love, abide in my words, abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then they are to love one another. Out of that abiding in Jesus Christ, they begin to love each other and love one another. They are to bear fruit. And as they love one another, because of their abiding in Christ, they are testifying to that relationship to the world. They are witnesses to the world. And that relationship between the world and believers, the world does not accept the believers. In fact, it hates believers because it first hated Jesus. But Jesus says that you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Um, let me let me let me pray because I wanted to do that before I began, and we'll 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 begin with chapter um, sixteen, verse one. Okay, uh, Father, thank you um, just for your Word. Thank you for the Gospel of John. It's so simple yet so powerful. And um, Father, we we come to you as children of God who um, are uh, constantly being um, tossed to and fro. Amidst the waves of life, uh, every week is different, every um, situation, circumstance is different, but we know that you are unchanging, your character is, um, is, is constant. Uh, Father, we, we ask that as we look at John 16, these first 15 verses, that it would have been an encouragement that if there are people who are experiencing um, some sorrows, uh, if there are, are people who um, are, uh, are struggling with, with, with trusting, um, Lord, that you would encourage us uh, to depend upon our great shepherd, that we might also walk by the Spirit um, and be encouraged by the work that you're doing uh, through the ministry of the Spirit in our lives as we carry on the ministry to other people. And so, God, I just pray that this would be encouraging and that you would know that, or that we would know, um, that That uh, your work is, is, uh, you are sovereign and that you you are working in every situation for your glory and our growth. And we ask that you would help us understand and apply in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, Jesus begins and he says in verse 1 of chapter 16, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Okay, so a lot of the, what he's said so far has probably uh, alarmed the disciples a little bit. And, and Jesus says, I've said all these things. And he says these things a number of times. You can kind of underline that. But I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you, are, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay, so Jesus is, he gently but truthfully relays the truth that, that the, the disciples' life is, going, is not going to be easy. You know, following Jesus is, is free, but it's not easy. It's extremely costly. It's radical. It's it's all demanding, right? Um, Paul shows Timothy that through his life, uh, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. That's a verse in Second Timothy. Timothy was able to watch Paul through different aspects of life, and and Jesus is is teaching the disciples that. Following him is not easy. The persecution will be a part of it. Um, in fact, there will be people who will seek to kill you. You know, the hour is coming. He says, "When whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God." And there are obviously religions who think that they are doing that right now. Um, but Jesus is the great shepherd, right? He is. Uh, he is our shepherd preparing his disciples for this future ministry. And so um, it, it, it begs the question, who are we preparing for ministry? Who in our lives are we preparing for ministry? Jesus actually um, uses the word keep, which I think is, this is really cool. I, I, was, um, I noticed this in Jude. If you can turn over to Jude real quick, I want to point something out to you. Jude is, towards the end, it's just one chapter in Jude. I, don't, I want to show you this. This is kind of neat. So Jude, it's only one chapter, so Jude 1. <laughs> it says, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. See, there's that word, kept for Jesus Christ. Um, And now if you can go to verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. Now I want you to, Go to verse 24. Who is it that actually and ultimately is keeping us? Verse 24, this great doxology. Now to him who is able to, what does it say? Keep. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus is our ultimate shepherd who's keeping us, who is uh, maintaining that relationship because he is ultimately preparing us for a time in which he is going to leave and the disciples are going to carry on that ministry. In verse, uh, continuing with verse four, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So so Jesus is preparing to leave, and the disciples are, are sad. He didn't say this, these things at the beginning because he was, he was with them. In, in chapter 14, he says, I'm not going to uh, leave you as orphans. He's actually going to prepare a place for them. But sorrow has filled their heart. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, uh, he, he uses the word, the hour has not come. The hour had not yet come, or the hour has coming, And that's typically referred to his, his time of, of uh, death upon the cross. But now that hour has come, and Jesus is not coding the truth, but he's gently but truthfully relaying what's about to happen. His his disciples get tripped up on that. They're sorrowful. Um, And and it's a lot like things in our lives, or if you're a lot like me, I I get tripped up with with little things, and and the worry uh, barometer goes way up high. Um, And I need to slow down and trust the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so he says, nevertheless... I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it's interesting. It's it's actually an, an advantage if Jesus goes away so that the Spirit of God would be sent to the disciples. And so why is that? Chapter 14, verse 12, he says, Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Why, why, why is Jesus talking like this? Wouldn't it be better for Jesus to be with his disciples forever? And I think it all has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I think the greater works that Jesus referred to in chapter 14 and the advantage that he talks about here is the fact that the, I believe it's the fact that the Person of the, the Spirit of God, uh, who we typically refer to as the third person of the Trinity, is going to uh, indwell believers so that the very person of God would be within a believer. And so it's not the quality. I don't think it's the quality of work that's going to be greater. But now the quantity of work. So this is actually a really pretty picture of, of just the work and mission that God gives us as believers. So Jesus with his, was with his 12 disciples And they went around the Galilee area and throughout Israel and make trips down to Judah and back, and they would do ministry. But it was just Jesus and the Twelve, right? And and a number of crowds and other people would follow him and stuff. But um, now, when Jesus goes back to the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is going to indwell believers, and the person of God will be with every believer, and they can spread out across the world from where they are in Jerusalem um, to Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing, the means of which God is um, changing the world through you and through me, through disciples, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's that's the advantage. And so we're, we're beginning to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. This John 16 is, is really starting to more specifically talk about the work of the Spirit because before, Jesus has introduced the Spirit, the Helper is about to come, and he's, he's mentioned this word, but now he's starting to get a little bit more into that. And so that's how Jesus kind of teaches with his disciples. He introduces some things, and then he elaborates on it a little bit later. And, um, and so now he's beginning to teach about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So I want to talk uh, just for a second about the promise of the Spirit. So the, 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 the Greek word is paraclete, and it means uh, an advocate, a helper. There's a do- number of different words that we can use, a counselor, a comforter. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. So you, you'll you see that through um, the, the, the people in the Old Testament at times. It was a temporary um coming upon those people. So you might read in Judges that the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and then, watch out, he's about to do something incredible for the Lord and and wipe out some Philistines. Uh, But then the Spirit of God would be removed from from Samson. And and so it was temporary in the Old Testament, but the promise throughout the Old Testament was that God would one day pour out His Spirit upon His people. Uh, He would send the Spirit to be with them. And so, who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is God. He is um, the promised gift. So, And He is the, the third person of the Trinity. And so, we, we worship God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, yet they are distinct from one another. And so, it's it's the mysterious beauty of our triune God that we worship, and the Holy Spirit um, is deserving of that worship, so much so that in the, the early church, the first couple of centuries of the beginning of our church, uh, the, the, uh, the Christians put together creeds that you might be familiar with, and uh, eventually, as they were asked questions about their beliefs, they had to respond to um, uh, to people who were either doubting their faith or misstating their faith. And so eventually they, they came up with a statement about the Spirit of God. And it was in a council of uh, Constantinople in 381, which affirmed the deity of the Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is in fact God. And, and they say, um, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and life giver. I thought that was really, pr- that's pretty, that's, that's really neat the Lord and life-giver who proceeds from the Father, uh, later they would add from the Son, uh, which is true, both the Father and the Son send the Spirit, although that divided the church as well, Um, who proceeds from the Father, who is worshiped and glorified together with the Father and Son, who spoke through the prophets. And so, so we believe in the procession of the Spirit, From the Father and the Son. The Father sends the Spirit. The Son, they send the Spirit. Um, And that is seen throughout all of the Gospel of John. John 3, you might remember, he speaks of John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 4, uh, or John 6, it is the Spirit who gives life. John 7, but this he spoke of the Spirit. So a lot of that water analogy that Jesus uses is um, referred to the Spirit of God. John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper uh, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. John uh, 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Um, and then what we just read in John 15, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth. So John has been building this case for the Spirit who is God and deserving of our worship. But, there's, but it's actually, uh, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. In fact, um, the Scriptures point to the working and promise of the Spirit. If you remember in um, Genesis 12, uh, God gives promises to Abraham that he would make him into a great nation and that he would bless him and, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And through the prophets, the ministry of, of the prophets, they began to carry out, uh, they began to um, s- state Promises that are connected to this blessing because we know the ultimate blessing of the families of the earth are through Israel, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. Um, and Galatians will say that, that that's part of the gospel. But the Spirit is integral in that part because in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new Spirit I will put within you. And And I'm just reading a few passages, but it's mentioned throughout the prophets in particular. Um, But then also, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he says that um, that there will be one after me who will baptize uh, with fire and the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. And in Acts, they are to wait for the promised Spirit. And so um, this Spirit of God is extremely important and then in Galatians 3, um, if you can turn there, this is really neat to see. Galatians 3, 12 to 14, or 13 to 14. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham... So do you, know what, you know what that is? That's what we just read in, in, in Genesis 12... That God promised that through Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, verse 14, it says, So that in Christ, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. So there it is, the promised spirit through faith. And so Christ Jesus on the cross, enacted this new covenant, this new age in which we will, as Gentiles and Jews together as one, but we can experience a relationship with the Father because of our faith in Christ Jesus, which allows the Spirit of God to indwell us, the very person of God. And so, jumping back to John um, this ministry, this work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is telling them, it's actually to your advantage that I leave because if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. And I think the disciples would probably understand, oh, the Spirit. I remember in the prophets, God said He's going to pour out His Spirit. Um, and so this is, this is something that, that they would have longed for, looked forward to. Um, The Spirit is life. The Spirit is uh, worthy of our worship. It is not some force, some neutral object, um, but is the person of God. And as we put our faith in Christ, we're indwelt with the Spirit of God. We're baptized into the corporate body of Christ so that we're actually connected to one another. Uh, The Spirit of God um, is a seal for us guaranteeing what is to come. The Scriptures speak of the Spirit as a taste, a foretaste of what is to come. So we actually experience that relationship with God now, but it's going to be... Uh, it's a foretaste of what is going to be forever in heaven. And so the work of the Spirit is, um, is incredible. So w- what is the work of the Spirit? Well, look, look at verse 8. John 16, verse 8. And when He comes... When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So, uh, so what's the work of the Spirit? He's a convictor. He convicts. He exposes sin. Sin is, is really, it's, it's, um, what's, it's falling short of God's standards, it's missing the mark, um, it's, it's, it's unbelief. Um, the Spirit is the one who does the convicting, and so I think this is encouraging when we, when we talk to people about Jesus, that, that it's actually the Spirit of God who is opening the eyes of the heart of somebody to respond to the revealed beauty of Jesus Christ. Um, we are messengers that God has sent us to to participate in this incredible. Um, we're ambassadors. This 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 mission of of sharing Christ Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the 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 convicting. And um, that that makes people uncomfortable, you know, to to talk about sin. Um, But one's view of sin is is really important because it's often related to one's view of the Savior. If they don't know that they are in need of redemption, then their view of Jesus is going to be one that is typically uh, just a good example or somebody who really lived just a good life, uh, that kind of thing. But no, we actually um, are dead in our trespasses and sins as Ephesians tells us. We are children of wrath. We are slaves to sin. That, apart from Christ Jesus, we are, we are dead. We are, are children of Adam. Um, in Adam, we, we have all sinned. And so we are separated from God. Um, to realize that is a work of the Spirit. And the Spirit does the convicting. We are just to be uh, faithful. The Spirit also um, convicts regarding righteousness. So Jesus goes to the Father. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. So um, Jesus' work was to... um, to come to earth to die on the cross. He was born to die. So that that in Him we might receive the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin, so that in Him we might receive the righteousness of God. And so it's that, that great exchange that Jesus actually gives the righteousness of God to believers who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then judgment concerning sin, Um, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so if you look at this, this is actually, um, this is kind of a beautiful picture of the gospel. So if you look at at sin, um, sin is our problem. Right? So we are, we are fallen. No one is righteous. No, not one. The Scriptures speak about unbelief. There's a problem. We have a, a problem. Um, righteousness, the reason Jesus came to die on the cross so that we might receive the righteousness of Jesus as forgiven sinners, and then He goes back to the Father. I think that's what that is talking about. Um, the cross in mind. That's the provision. So this is kind of a a, a real pretty picture of the gospel. Sin is our problem. Righteousness is our provision. And the judgment is the penalty. So apart from Christ, uh, we will bear the weight of our sin eternally. We will be judged uh, as unrighteous people apart from Jesus Christ. And he says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So, so evil um, has got to be dealt with. And Jesus uh, is doing that on the cross. And ultimately Satan is judged for, um, for being who he is. And one day ultimately will be uh, cast into, uh, in, into hell. And then hell will be taken and thrown into the lake of fire. And so it's a really pretty picture of the gospel. And then if you kind of zoom out, it's actually a really pretty picture of the Bible. So if you, if you think about God's work um, with sin, um, you think, where did that start? Well, it started in Genesis 3, right? So Genesis 3, um, man rebelled, and uh, Adam and Eve were cast from the garden, right? And they were in need of a provision. God hinted at that provision and providing them clothes from a sacrifice. And then um, you, you um, look at the rest of the Gospels all the way, I mean the rest of the Bible all throughout the Gospels and up to Revelation, that's the provision ultimately uh, climaxing in Jesus Christ as the Messianic figure who was the one who provided redemption for the people. And then ultimately in Revelation, sin is going to be judged. So it's a pretty picture of the Bible. Now, it's also a picture of Romans. If you've walked through Romans, uh, righteousness is is a big theme in Romans, right? And the first uh, four or five chapters is all about falling short, and we do not have the righteousness because we are separated. And apart from Christ Jesus, we cannot have the righteousness of God. But in Christ Jesus, we do. and so anyway, it's a, I thought it was a helpful picture looking through John. I mean, I don't know if it was meant to, to be thinking through Romans and the Bible, but it, it, it's actually a, a wonderful picture of the gospel, that the Spirit, His work, the work of the Holy Spirit, is actually convicting people as at work right now um, in Bernie, Texas. You know? and, 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 and the context here is that the Spirit of God is actually ministering to you and through you to the people that you're going to talk to tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout this week. And we pray that the Spirit would convict those people of their sin, uh, that they might know the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the provision that is provided for, so that they would not have to experience the judgment that is reserved for those who are um, not children of God. And so um, God is a merciful God. In fact, He is... Um, he is patient, not willing for anyone to perish. And so um, the harvest is ripe, and God has given us many opportunities. And He says um, in verse 12, we'll keep going, He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So that's interesting. You know, d- Jesus knows His disciples pretty well, right? And so um, sometimes we can kind of dump the truckload of stuff on people. But here's a good example of discipleship. Jesus, uh, there's times when Jesus unloads some things, but there's times when he kind of stops and says, okay, you, you can't bear this right now. I'm going to stop. And so as, um, as we look to disciple, I asked that question earlier, who are we preparing? Who are you preparing in your ministry this week? Um, you may have somebody who is just kind of searching, looking for baby steps kind of thing, and, and, and you're at just talking about sin and righteousness and judgment. But you may be with somebody who is, is further along, asking some other questions, and that's okay. Everybody's at a different place, but Jesus, Jesus knows where his disciples are. And he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so the Spirit is the great guider. Um, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And so in the the immediate context, the disciples are going to be the ones who actually take the words of God and are going to write those things down. So that's called inspiration, where um, the scriptures are, are words of God that are breathed out from God, and they were given to the apostles who were the disciples, and they wrote them down, and those are the very words of God. And so uh, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so they, they, um, they write that down. And kind of an application for us is that um, the Spirit works and guides. He's a guide for us as well. So in our, in our context, um, we live in a world that is under the domain of the ruler of this world. The scriptures tell us that, that Satan, um, and God has allowed this to happen for a time But Satan knows his time is limited. Um, but in that time, Satan is, is, is at work. Satan's at work trying to, um, uh, continue with his lies. He's the father of all lies. And so we're constantly bombarded with lies, uh, lies of the world, um, lies from Satan. Um, We are to be uh, centered in truth. Our relationships are to be revolved around truth because we are people of truth. We are sanctified by the truth. And so as we are bombarded by lies, we're we're not to be removed from those worldly contexts necessarily. We are to be salt and light, and we are to be people of truth, the Scriptures tell us. Um, And the Spirit of God is the guider He's the one who guides us into truth. And so our relationships are to be about truth. So everything we talk about, all that we do is to be a worship to God, is to be uh, talked about with people and with truth. And um, a professor once said to me that there's there's only two things that last forever, and that's uh, people and the Word of God. And that's really true. And so what people are we investing in and what truth are we using to invest into those people? And so um, Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God as this great guider. So I think of like a guide, I think of like a hunting guide, or I think of like a backpacking guide, or I like outdoor stuff. So, um, Or if I'm, I'm, I'm taking someone down a trail or something. And so in our relationships, you have opportunities to steer that walk or steer that relationship to the truth. And so that's really the work of the Spirit that he does in and through our life. And he helps us to understand. It's called illumination. He, he guides us, and he guides the believer. We're, we've been given the spirit of God so that we would understand this truth. It's incredible. Uh, so you get opportunities at dinner every night with your kids or your um, wife or husband or neighbor or whoever it may be to talk about life. Um, driving in the car, uh, any situation, because you have the Spirit of God, you can understand Scripture, so that you can communicate and guide other people to Scripture, and so it's a it's a really pretty pretty picture, um, and we are to keep in step with that relationship with the Spirit. Romans eight, Galatians five speaks of this um, this walking, this relationship uh, with the Spirit of God in our lives, because the Spirit's always working, isn't that isn't that great? Um, because I, I feel like I, I, I dropped the ball so many times, but I know the Spirit of God is always working in my life, in, in believers' lives, in y'all's life, um, and I'm thankful for that, because he uses, he uses the times when I mess up, or when I fail, or when I sin, um, He can use that uh, to show His glory, uh, not by highlighting my sin, but by highlighting His grace, and so, um, you know, if I have a moment where I jump on my kids or um, I didn't act with patience or character that is godly, I can come back to them and say, boys, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I messed up and I need your forgiveness. And I'm showing them God's grace and that I actually need the gospel and I need Jesus Christ. And, um, and so that's what the Spirit does in and through us. But he's also a great witness he's a he's a testifier he's a declarer look look what it says Uh, he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come so he is this great uh declarer he's a he's a um he's a testifier so i recently read through john and I, i i noted the things that that testified or that gave witness and here here are the things that that i came up with The crowd bears witness, the works bear witness, the Father bears witness, Jesus bears witness, the words bear witness, John bore witness, the Spirit bears witness, and you are to bear witness. And so how is your witnessing ministry? You know, do your conversations point to Jesus Christ? Uh, My my wife and I uh, had some people over at the house last night that were part of our church, and we were looking at John 4, where Jesus speaks to the woman at the well And um, it was really interesting. He sends the disciples into the town. Um, They come back. They notice he's been talking with this woman who Jews and Samaritans don't necessarily talk to each other. They don't talk to each other. Um, But Jesus has engaged with this person who was just right next to him. And the woman goes into town and just tells her story. And all these people come to believe on Jesus. And yet his disciples come out. They've been with Jesus for like three years and they don't tell anybody about Jesus, <laughs> and so um, the declaring ministry, the witnessing ministry, the storytelling ministry of this lady was uh, was fabulous in John four, and so do our conversations point to the work of Jesus Christ? Um, look at the look at the look at the pronouns real quick in in this last paragraph. Uh, he look look. look um, See, he will convict. He will guide. He will not speak. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so these are these are pronouns. This is a person. This is the Spirit of God. And, and the Spirit of God is a great glorifier. He's always, he's always pointing to the glory. He's always glorifying Jesus Christ. And so watching them relate, watching the Spirit The Father, Son, and the Spirit relate to each other. is a wonderful thing. And so the Spirit of God, He's not only the guider, He's not only the the declarer, the the great witnesser, because we are co-witnesses with the Spirit. Remember at the end of chapter 15, He says to the disciples, and you also will bear witness. So this is part of what the Spirit is going to do in and through the believer. It's telling your story. It's not bringing them to your pastor and saying, Tell this person about Jesus. It's you as participators, as ministers of the gospel, because you are equipped, you are adequate with the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. You're branched out in Bernie, in Comfort, in the hill country with the person of the Spirit of God for ministry. So, You don't bring them all to one person. In fact, that one person, Pastor McCall and the elders are here to train and equip you to build you up so that through the ministry of the Spirit, you go out throughout the hill country and uh, minister. And so it's a a beautiful picture. So he's not only the guider, he's not only the declarer, but he's the great glorifier. Um, He will glorify me for what. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so the work, the work of the Spirit is, is, um, is incredible. It is absolutely essential to the ministry that God has given you and as God has given me. And so though Jesus leaves eventually going to the cross to take our place so that we might receive forgiveness, so that we might receive the righteousness of God. Though he goes there, that's not the end of the story. He's our shepherd, uh, and the gospel continues because he rises from the dead, and he comes back to life. He conquers death. He gives us hope of new life. And because Jesus lived, we are going to live. Because he was raised, we are going to raise. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to work in our lives, Ephesians 3 says, and is going to raise us up with Christ. So one day we will be doing this eternally forever. And so that, that ministry that he's given us is going to be hard. But he is our great shepherd, and he is, um, he is going to keep us. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? He's, he has kept us. And he's given us the command to keep yourselves in the love of God. And in fact, he has said, I will keep you because he is our great, great shepherd. And so in closing, when times are tough, uh, when we experience persecution, because we will and you will, as you branch out and uh, rub shoulders with people and um, lovingly communicate the truth of God, Dependent upon the Spirit of God to people. As you do that, um, there's a good chance you're going to experience persecution. And as you do, uh, know that you're not alone because the disciples experienced it, Jesus experienced it. But more importantly, Jesus is going to be with you. Um, I will be with you to the end of the age, he tells his disciples. Um, He will hold us fast. He will keep us. And so in closing, I, I just want to read this This uh, song that uh, we recently sang at our church. It's by um, Matt Merker from Getty Music. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but um, it's called He Will Hold Me Fast. I thought it was a pretty song, but it says, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And then it goes on to say, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. And then the ending chorus, it says, For my life He bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life, He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when He comes at last. I thought that was pretty. Um, let's, Let's close in prayer.